This week on Geek Explained, with the Birds of Prey making their feature film debut, we're taking a look at the villain who will be rising up to battle them. So join us as we chronicle the history of Roman Sionis, aka Black Mask. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is our first in our two-parter featuring the Birds of Prey film that's coming out uh, next week as of this recording. So uh, this week, we're going to be spotlighting the villain that will be... Uh, antagonizing the team that being roman sionis aka black mask and next week we'll be doing a comics catch-up episode giving you all the best birds of prey stories so really really excited to talk about black mask he's one of my favorite batman villains and i think one of the most underappreciated batman villains because he there's just a lot going on with him and he's always been one of my favorites so i'm really excited to talk about him also we have our weekly review for the final episode of arrow ever ah it's here uh arrow ends this week and um i don't know if i'm ready to let it go yet so uh stay tuned for that as well as the announcement of what we are going to be uh doing next for that segment in our weekly review going forward and of course we have this week's comics countdown but before we get into all of that let's check in with this week's news Right, guys and dolls, so we have some news for you, but I'll be honest, it's not a lot. We don't have a lot of news this week, but that's all right. Some news weeks will be full, some news weeks will be a little bit lighter, um, but we're going to go ahead and jump into it. So we've got our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Um, I want to start off uh, the miscellaneous. We're going to start off with miscellaneous this week. Uh, first off, because we do have uh, some sad news to cover. And I think that even though we are a primarily uh, geek culture podcast, I think it's it's definitely worth uh, mentioning, especially because I do uh, live here in Los Angeles. And over the weekend, unfortunately, um, Kobe Bryant, who was kind of best known as the star player for the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, tragically lost his life along with his daughter Gianna uh, Sunday morning. There was a helicopter accident. It was um, awful. Just and a completely senseless tragedy. Um, there aren't really words to describe the effect that it's had, especially in town. Like, uh, Los Angeles loves Kobe, and that was a huge loss, not just for um, the basketball community, but also for just sports as a whole. So, um, yeah, I, th I think it's it's worth mentioning. Um, he was an incredible athlete, regardless of, 
you know, what he did on or off the court, he absolutely made an impact on just hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And I think that that is something that uh, it means something and it's worth talking about in the very least, uh, even on a podcast that doesn't normally talk about sports. So our thoughts and our prayers are here. I know that's like a really um, cliche thing to say at this point, but it's true. Our thoughts and our prayers really are with Kobe Bryant's friends and family uh, through this period. So uh, in other news, in miscellaneous news, uh, when it comes to Star Wars, we have um, kind of an announcement. Uh, there's this whole Project Luminous thing that's been going on with Star Wars for a while now. No one knows what it is. Uh, they just know that it's kind of a cross-media um, project in kind of the same vein as Shadows of the Empire, if anyone remembers that. Um, from way, way back in the day between um, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh, but Project Luminous, we don't really know anything about other than that it is uh, set in the Star Wars universe and it will be um, across a couple different uh, media. So we're talking maybe novels, uh, video games. We're not sure exactly what it entails, but we did get an announcement that it will be... Uh, officially revealed on February 24th. So we're finally going to be able to know what it's about, what they're talking about here, and hopefully that will shed a bit more light on the situation. So that is it for miscellaneous news. Moving into comics news, really just one big thing for comics news right now, uh, and that is that we got a teaser from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And we'll talk a little bit more about Scott Snyder when we get to the comics countdown later on in the episode. But um, they sent out this teaser image, and I don't even know what to think of it. I'm looking at it right now, and it's uh, it's Wonder Woman. And clearly drawn by uh, Greg Capullo. He's fantastic. But she is wearing some demonic-looking gear and is wielding what I can only describe as a chainsaw sword. Um attached to her uh her golden perfect or prefect i'm not sure exactly what it is basically the the lasso um and i have no idea what this is the uh there's a little bit of text on there basically just saying scott snyder greg capullo the mayhem is imminent and it says get ready for the encore so what i'm assuming is that this is the um the long rumored sequel to dark knight's metal that they've kind of been teasing for the past two years and this is probably the next uh the next step for Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder. However, we do know that the um, the Batman Last Night on Earth story was their last story with Batman. So I don't know if this means that it's going to be a Wonder Woman-focused story or if it's going to be a true blue uh, sequel to Dark Knight's Metal. We don't know. But I'm assuming that that information is going to be coming. So I am excited to talk about whenever it does come out. Uh, rolling on into TV news. Not a lot of TV news, again, but uh, we do know that there's some rumor and speculation going on when it comes to Disney Plus and their Marvel properties. Uh, there have been a bunch of different rumors going on, first off, with uh, how they are going to introduce Miss Marvel, because that is a show that is coming to Disney Plus eventually. Um, 
apparently they're trying to work around the idea that Miss Marvel is an inhuman and yet the MCU has no inhumans. So uh, that might delay production. They're not sure exactly where to go with that yet, but I'm, I'm, I have faith in them so far. Uh, they're also are rumors that in the upcoming Loki show that we might not just see Tom Hiddleston's Loki, but we might also be seeing Kid Loki and Lady Loki. Uh, if you aren't familiar with either of those characters, they are fantastic characters, especially Kid Loki. Um, and really, it all kind of comes down to Young Avengers, which it kind of seems like they're starting to lean towards. Uh, there's been rumors that Hulkling is going to be... Uh, Announced also, uh, America Chavez has been rumored to show up in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I still don't know what's going on with that movie, but I am hoping to get some kind of info soon. But if they're working their way towards Young Avengers, I won't be mad about it. And uh, bringing in Hulkling might be uh, through this rumored secret invasion show that they are that is rumored to be. Uh, being worked on and might lead into Captain Marvel 2. We don't know this for sure. There hasn't been any uh, official announcement made on it yet, but I am intrigued. I am very interested to see exactly what they do with that, um, especially if they if that's where they decide to bring in Hulkling, uh, seeing as he, how he is kind of a uh, member of the Skrull royal family. So... That'll be interesting. And then finally, going into film news, uh, a couple pieces here, both DC news, actually. Uh, first off, in film news, um, uh, first impressions, I guess, are in first reviews for Harley or for Birds of Prey. See, got me again. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. And they're super positive. A lot of people are putting in some or are having some really great reactions so far, which is good. It's good news. Uh, it's going to be coming out next week. And that kind of is driving what's going on this week and next week when it comes to our uh, our main course of the episode. So that's awesome to hear. I'm really excited. I really want this film to be good. I, I just want DC to do well. So I will be uh, going into that film with an open mind for sure. And then also in DC, they are starting to put out casting uh, for Black Adam. That's right. The Rocks, or I guess Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam is finally getting off the ground. And apparently they're looking to cast some pretty heavy hitters when it comes to DC Comics. But we're not talking Justice League heavy hitters. We're talking Justice Society heavy hitters. And that ah, makes my heart happy. It makes my heart real happy. Because as you know, I love the Justice Society, and I really want them to be a part of whatever DC is doing going forward. So right now, it looks like the uh, rumored casting that's going around is for Hawkman and Hawkgirl, Stargirl, Isis, who is uh, effectively the uh, female lead and is kind of Black Adam's lover, as well as Dr. Fate, which I'm really excited about. And I've seen conflicting reports on this, but also uh, the Adam, but not the uh, Ray Palmer Adam. We're talking the guy who would eventually become Adam Smasher in the Justice Society, which 
if you haven't checked out our episode on the Justice Society, go back and check that out. It's great. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, So yeah, and then that's pretty much it for the news. Like I said, kind of a light news week. Uh, Not a whole lot going down, um, but I am excited about the positive stuff. Um, Once again, the negative stuff is, uh, it's sad and it's hard to talk about, but, um, you know, it's, it's inspiring to see how many lives that uh, Kobe Bryant touched. And I'm pretty, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm in awe of really the reach that his life and his career had. So um, without further ado, we're going to head into the uh, main course the entree if you will of the episode which is the full history and breakdown of roman sionis aka black mask Welcome to the debut of a brand new segment that we're calling the Geek Explained Chronicle, which will be breaking down and explaining the history behind some of the greatest comic book characters to ever grace a page. Um, I'm really excited about this. I've been kind of going back and forth. We've done episodes before on specific characters that kind of recount their history, give you kind of everything that you need to know about them. Um, but I wanted to make it an, an official uh, segment. I'm big on segments, as you can tell with all the segments that we have regularly in the podcast. So I kind of wanted to put something uh, just out there and make it official. So this is now the Geek Explained Chronicle on Black Mask. Roman Sionis, I'm going to let you know uh, all the basic info on him as well as a brief history on everything that's gone down with him. We're going to be talking about his full origin. We'll be going through his history as a character through the numerous DC reboots and kind of where he is at right now in the comics. So you can dive in with any comic that uh, involves him and know kind of what's going on on his journey, as well as knowing what he's kind of about when you go see Harley Quinn and uh, the Birds of Prey film. I'm really excited about it. Uh, This character, I think, is one of the most underserved and underappreciated of Batman's rogues gallery, and I am super, super jazzed to be able to talk about him today. So, some basic info that I'm going to give you on him right now. His real name is Roman Sionis. His first appearance was in Batman number 386, all the way back in August of 1985. He was created by Doug Monch. Doug Monch? Doug Monch? I probably mispronounced that name, and I apologize. (laughs) And Tom Mandrake and his team affiliations have been the False Face Society, the Gotham Mafia, the larger Gotham Mafia, just involving everybody, villains, I guess, uh, the Secret Society of Supervillains, the Black Lantern Corps, and the Blacks and Whites. We'll be talking about his tenure in all of these groups as we go along. So... Let's just jump into it. Let's jump into his history, starting off with his childhood. Uh, Roman Sionis was born to wealthy and just super, super awful parents. Uh, When he was born, he was dropped on his head and um, just as a newborn baby. And his parents 
rather than actually like try and treat him to make sure that he was okay and everything about that like paid off everyone in the hospital to just cover it up they never um checked to see if there was any kind of negative health issues on that they just paid everybody off to cover it up uh Later on in his childhood, he was attacked by a raccoon on their estate, and they basically kept him quarantined in their uh, in their estate where he couldn't see anybody until he healed up because they didn't want to uh, make him, I guess, look bad. So his parents were just awful people who were more concerned about their public face rather than who they were as actual people. Um, and that included with who they associated with, because as they were kind of socialite social climbers, they eventually came into the orbit of the Waynes, Thomas and Martha Wayne specifically. And even though they hated the Waynes, Roman's parents did, um, because they knew that the Waynes were part of the upper class in the um, social hierarchy in Gotham, they hid that and you know, we're all buddy-buddy with them to their faces. And they even forced Roman to be friends with Bruce Wayne, a young child Bruce Wayne. So um, you can already tell that Roman has had not a great childhood. And it was during this childhood and the treatment of his parents that he grew to resent the idea of masks. He hated the masks that he wore, that his parents wore in public. He hated that they forced that kind of mask onto him, and it gave him a deep resentment for masks of any kind. Uh, later on, in his, as he became an adult, he was given a high-ranking position in his father's company, which was Janus Cosmetics, pretty much the biggest cosmetics company in all of Gotham. While working at Janus Cosmetics, he fell in love with a working-class model named Cersei, and this was kind of the start. This was the first domino that got knocked down into turning Roman Sionis into Black Mask, because uh, his parents did not approve of his relationship with Cersei because she was, as I said before, a working class individual. Uh, they wanted Roman to be involved with people who were either of the same or higher social class. And um, him wanting to date someone who they considered as less than a person was unacceptable to them. And so they used their connections as well as their influence on Roman to force him to break up with Cersei. This kind of uh, basically snapped something in him. Uh, years of abuse really uh, piled on, and this seemed to be the thing that broke the... This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And in retaliation for being forced to break up with Cersei, he burned down his family mansion with his parents inside while they slept, uh, killing both of them and inheriting their vast fortune as well as their business. Uh, this also allowed him to get back together with Cersei and propose to her. Uh, unfortunately, the, he didn't get the fairy tale ending that he was hoping for because even though uh, Roman's father, Richard, was an awful person, he was a fantastic businessman. And unfortunately, he did not pass that on to his son. And his lack of business knowledge and just real lack of social skills uh, ruined Janus Cosmetics. It sent it down and nearly caused the company to collapse. Uh, desperate and wanting to 
just get an easy fix on how to fix his company. He rushed out a flawed product, uh, completely bypassing testing to the market, and this uh, product ended ended up disfiguring hundreds of women, just completely destroying any kind of goodwill with the company and sending the company into a free fall. Uh, Roman was losing pretty much everything that he had and this was when a familiar acquaintance stepped back into his life that being bruce wayne who had recently uh, returned from excursion and had taken control of uh, wayne industries um fortunately uh the way that bruce wanted to go about helping his friend was not how roman wanted him to help because bruce wayne did offer to bail out roman and janice cosmetics but on the condition that once he did he would have members from his own board take over the company from roman uh, seeing this as kind of a hostile takeover and being humiliated and embarrassed, uh, Roman just fled to the cemetery where his parents were, uh, were buried. And he went there basically to break into their crypt because he didn't know where else to go. Uh, as he was trying to break into their crypt, a lightning bolt struck him nearby or struck near him, flinging him backwards and just throwing him headfirst into a nearby stone. So uh, one thing that you may notice is that there's a lot of head injuries and a lot of uh, brain damage when it comes to Roman Sionis. This has never been explicitly stated, but it's been more implied that this, um, the repeated blows to the head, uh, really had a big impact on his mental state as well as all of the personality issues that he suffered throughout his life uh unfortunately this isn't quite how roman took it because him uh getting struck by lightning he saw as a sign as a rebirth of sorts there's a lot of that that goes around in the dc universe so why not uh, so he went, he broke into the crypt and smashed his father's ebony casket. Again, his parents were very vain and all about appearance, and his father wanted to be buried in an all ebony black uh, wood casket. So Roman smashes this and uses pieces of the casket to carve a skull mask, which he uses to become the crime boss black mask uh shortly after this he establishes the false face society uh basically recruiting underlings that will all wear their own masks and uh basically went on a crime spree throughout gotham uh he murdered during this crime spree he murdered three wayne foundation executives basically trying to get back at bruce for taking his company from him uh, during this, he also kidnaps Cersei and disfigures her, forcing her to basically be with him forever because of how much he uh, disfigures her and ends up, I think, attaching a mannequin mask to her to, I guess, poke fun at the fact she used to be a model. Uh, Black Mask is a messed up dude, super messed up dude. Uh, following this, he ends up clashing with the... Uh, I would say recently, though I guess not really. Um, anyway, he ends up clashing with Batman, as well as his new sidekick Robin. This Robin being Jason Todd. Uh, which I think is a really interesting wrinkle. Uh, no one talks about it enough. 
what Jason kind of went through during his tenure as Robin and the stuff that happened during that time. Uh, but anyway, during this uh, scuffle, Black Mask escapes and uh, flees back to his newly rebuilt family estate to burn down the mansion once again. Uh, during his arsonist spree throughout the mansion uh batman and robin arrive and defeat him and batman inadvertently by throwing a uh one of his grappling hooks around uh Sionis's legs traps him in the burning building where the skull mask gets burned onto his face uh, batman and robin are able to rescue him from the burning house but by then the damage has been done uh roman Sionis has been just irreversibly broken and he is black mask forever but that was pretty much what he was up to uh before the universe changing event or i guess multiverse changing event called crisis on infinite earths he didn't do a whole lot following his uh his first appearance uh but following the uh following the crisis a lot of stuff changed a lot of stuff changed, a lot of status quos changed, but one thing that did not change is that Arkham Asylum still holds some awful and terrible people, and at this point included Roman Sionis' Black Mask. Uh, following the events of Christ on Infinite Earths, Black Mask uh, escapes from Arkham Asylum and renews the False Face Society. Uh, this results in one of, I think, the most interesting stories that, again, does not get talked about uh i have to stress this black mask is one of the most underappreciated batman villains and there is no reason why he should be uh because specifically in this story uh batman goes undercover in the false face society as Skullface. if you're a fan of metal gear solid and have played metal gear solid the phantom pain that should excite you because i and i think that's super cool so basically batman goes undercover as this operative uh that black mask himself named Skullface, and is basically serving through this uh through this quest to defeat the false face society from within so there's stories about him being undercover and having to uh commit crimes with the false face society while also uh of diverting them from even worse crimes and it's during this story that uh, black mask kidnaps lucius fox and is wanting to kill him once again uh renewing his feud with anyone who happened to be working for bruce wayne uh that's another thing that i really love about the character is that he has a vendetta not just against batman but also against bruce wayne and the duality of that i think is super super cool uh, Batman does end up breaking his cover and rescuing Lucius, but during the uh, scuffle, Black Mask escapes once again. And that's really uh, kind of his most prominent story until the events of No Man's Land. And if you're not familiar with uh, the story of No Man's Land, first of all, go read it. It's incredible. But second of all, this was the, uh, this was the story where Gotham was basically nearly destroyed by an earthquake and that kind of resulted in the u.s government quarantining gotham so 
basically no uh, aid in, there's no way to get out, and people are trapped in this dystopian uh, ruined city. I love it. It's an incredible story that doesn't get, again, doesn't get talked about enough, but it's one of the greatest Batman stories of all time. Uh, During the events of No Man's Land, Black Mask resurfaces again, but this time as a cult leader, uh, which I think is just really speaks to the versatility of his uh, his gimmick. Uh, he is eventually defeated by Batman and the Huntress and imprisoned in Blackgate Penitentiary. But during the uh, closing act of No Man's Land, he escapes once again. Uh, following this, he moves to Gotham's East End and uh, begins a drug trafficking ring, which puts him into direct conflict with Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman, not really knowing anything about him, uh, begins stealing from his organization and giving the money to the poor. Uh, Black Mask, in retaliation, captures and forces Catwoman's ally Sylvia Sinclair to reveal Catwoman's identity to him. Uh, Using this info, uh, Black Mask destroys the youth center that Selina Kyle was kind of running at this point in time and kidnaps both Selina's sister as well as her husband, uh, Selina's brother-in-law. During this uh, period, while Catwoman is trying to find them, uh, Black Mask tortures the brother-in-law to death with power tools. Uh, Black Mask does does not mess around. He basically tortures him until he dies with these power tools, and he cuts up the body and force feeds it to his wife, Selena's sister. By the time that Catwoman arrives, um, her brother-in-law is dead, her sister has been driven insane, and her closest ally, Holly Robinson, is about to be tortured in the same way that her brother-in-law was. Uh, Catwoman battles with Black Mask, leading to a confrontation on top of uh, one of the high-rises within Gotham's East End, and the confrontation ends with Catwoman throwing Black Mask off the building. Yeah. So that's pretty much the last that we saw of him for a while until the War Games story. Again, War Games, incredible, incredible Batman story. If you haven't read it, uh, basically what happens is uh, Stephanie Brown, who was the vigilante known as Spoiler, uh, was also uh, Tim Drake Robin's girlfriend, Basically, uh, after Tim Drake was forced to retire from being Robin, went to Batman, said, I want to be Robin, and he gave her a probationary period as Robin. Uh, Stephanie screwed up, Batman fired her, and Stephanie, in an attempt to uh, win back his favor, decided to enact one of his deep-set plans to unite all of the uh, crime bosses under one roof so that Batman could do a full sweep and take them all out at once. Unfortunately, uh, Spoiler was... or this plan that Spoiler had stolen was... um, was completely, um, it relied on two things. First off, well, two people. Uh, first off, it was Orpheus, who was an agent of Batman, who was deep undercover in the uh, Gotham Underworld and was a vigilante in his own right, as well as Matches Malone, who, if you are a longtime Batman fan, you know is an alias that Batman uses sometimes when he has to go undercover in uh, Gotham's Underworld. 
Spoiler did not know that Matches Malone was a was Batman and thought that he was supposed to be a separate person. So when she enacted this plan and got all of the crime, uh, all of the crime bosses and all of their lackeys under one roof, Matches Malone did not show up because Batman was not aware that Spoiler was doing this, and it resulted in a giant shootout that killed many of the crime bosses and allowed Black Mask to resurface and usurp their power. During this, uh, Black Mask captures Spoiler and tortures her to obtain info on Batman, including some of his um, uh, his plans as well as the identity of Orpheus. Uh, f- pretty soon after this, using that info, he kills Orpheus and assumes his identity. Uh, spoiler luckily escapes but unfortunately apparently dies soon after in the care of leslie tompkins uh using this i this assumed identity as orpheus black mask infiltrates oracle's clock tower to kill her batman arrives having just watched uh stephanie brown die in his arms and nearly beats batman to death before oracle uh enacts the self-destruct uh protocol for the clock tower forcing batman to save her instead of killing black mask black mask of course escapes and following this becomes the overlord of of the uh, gotham underworld essentially he becomes the kingpin if you are more familiar with that term from marvel comics uh as the kingpin black mask rules the gotham underworld he is in charge of all the gangs all the crime families he is the guy and during this period he purchases an amazo android which if you're not familiar with the amazo androids they are basically androids that can copy superpowers uh if you've been watching the cw shows uh an amazo android showed up during the elseworlds crossover from last year uh and also Black Mask purchased a pretty sizable sum of kryptonite to deter any Kryptonians from uh, trying to take him down. He also allied with reporter Arturo Rodriguez in an attempt to discredit Batman. Basically, um, and this is wild, um, Arturo Rodriguez would attack Batman in the press. Uh, Black Mask would commit crimes in a Batman disguise, and Arturo Rodriguez would report on it. And that forced Batman to go after both of them, first off exposing Rodriguez, and then subsequently uh, battling and capturing Black Mask. But of course, as he always does, he escaped once again and resumed his duties as the Kingpin of Gotham. Everything was going pretty smooth for him until his businesses began to get attacked. Didn't know who was go- who was uh, the perpetrator of these attacks on multiple fronts, and pretty quickly was introduced to the new Red Hood. That's right, Jason Todd has made a full on circle in this man's life, and he does not even know it. So um, Red Hood shows up and just starts dismantling all of his um all of his circles all of his businesses and he begins to lose power in gotham because of this he uh kind of jumps on an offer made by deathstroke to join the secret society of supervillains and in doing so gains their protection with their best and i'm putting quotations on best uh d-list super villains to kind of 
be his muscle. Uh, and I say this best, again, quotations, because pretty quickly after they are um, enlisted in his criminal organization, they are soundly defeated by Batman and Red Hood. Uh, this is just pretty much as far as he goes in the Secret Society. He does pop up a little bit uh, during the siege in uh in infinite crisis but he doesn't really have any kind of uh, meaningful interactions during that uh, red hood completely dismantles black masks control over the city and he is left in ruins uh, desperate and wanting to find some way to get out of the hole that he's been dug into uh, he kind of returns to the well and attacks Catwoman's loved ones once again, forcing Catwoman during their final confrontation to shoot Sionis in the face, killing him. Once and for all, that is it for Roman Sionis. Um, Catwoman pretty quickly after this retires and passes the Catwoman mantle onto Holly Robinson, who of course, because no good deed goes unpunished, uh, is pretty quickly arrested for the murder of Roman Sionis. That story continues on, um, but that's pretty much it for Roman Sionis for now, because another black mask soon surfaces later on down the line pretty quickly, or a pretty, I would say pretty near the uh, events of Batman R.I.P. as well as Final Crisis. A new black mask shows up and blows up half of Arkham Asylum. Uh, there's not really anything else significant that he does besides being revealed as Jeremiah Arkham, who was the um, the warden in Arkham Asylum. Uh, he was revealed to basically have been driven insane from all of the uh, supervillains that he interacted with every day, as well as some toxic chemicals from said villains. He's defeated by Batman and returned to Arkham Asylum. That's pretty much it for him. Then we go to Blackest Night. Blackest Night, if you're unfamiliar, uh, was the big story post-Final Crisis, which basically introduced the Black Lanterns. What are the Black Lanterns, you ask? Well, the Black Lanterns are made up entirely of people who have died. And if that's not enough of a problem because of how many people have died in the DC Universe, it's even more of a problem because any person who has ever died can also be a Black Lantern, even if they've been resurrected. And at this point, we're in the late 2000s. Do you know how many people have been brought back from the dead? It's a lot. I tried to make a list for you. Maybe I'll do that if I ever do like a Black Blackest Night uh, specific episode. If you'd like to see me cover Blackest Night in all of its uh, zombie-rific glory, feel free to request that uh, through social media or through email. Um, but it's a lot. So Blackest Night was a big deal, and one of the characters who was brought back as a Black Lantern was, of course... Roman Sionis, and he went after Catwoman's sister once again because he just can't let it go. Fortunately, uh, he was defeated and killed once again by Poison Ivy by using a mutated pitcher plant that consumed Black or uh, yeah Black Mask, and the uh, acid within the pitcher plant dissolved him as fast as his ring could uh, regenerate him. So, boom. 
None. And that's pretty much it for him before Flashpoint. And the New 52, which reset everything. New 52, again, if you're not familiar, reset everybody. It was basically a hard reboot in 2011 where everyone is now younger, has more lines on their clothes, and um, everybody's more uh, dark and edgy now. So uh, New 52, jokes aside, like New 52 was a big deal. And this reset a lot of characters, bringing characters back from the dead, uh, resetting their origins, making them... uh, completely different people in certain instances looking at you superman uh but this also made a new status quo for minor characters as well as villains including black mask so the new 52 black mask is alive once again and he has some upgrades first off he has a split personality now roman sionis is completely separate from black mask and uh Roman Sionis is no longer uh, completely burnt or uh, permanently burned into the Black Mask. Uh, now it is something that can be taken on and off of him uh, at will. And when he puts the Black Mask on is when the Black Mask persona uh, develops. It's very uh, Two-Face, which is probably why we haven't seen much of it since this initial uh, established um, kind of retcon for him. But... Also, beyond the uh, split personality, he also had some upgrades done to his mask. Because now, when he puts on his mask, there is tech inside the mask that allows for uh, short-ranged and brief uh, mind control. So, um, basically, he's able to exert his will over uh, specific people within a certain distance... And this comes into play during the initial Night of the Owl storyline, when the Court of Owls declares open, basically open season on the entirety of Gotham. Uh, Talons are flooding into Gotham City to eliminate all of the perceived threats to the Court of Owls, and that includes Arkham Asylum. We uh, meet Roman Sionis as he's being treated by Jeremiah Arkham. I think this is pretty cool. He has his uh, mask taken away from him. And so he's been on a hunger strike because he wants his mask returned to him. That is when the Talons attack Arkham Asylum and Jeremiah Arkham gives him back his mask to force the inmates to battle the Talons. So... It's really cool. It's one of the uh, side stories during the Night of the Owls story, but basically uh, Black Mask uses his mind control in his mask to force the other inmates to fight the Talons, and it's spectacular. It's a great, great little battle set piece. Uh, During this, of course, because he sees that the inmates are ill-equipped to fight the Talons because they are murderous killing machines, Uh, Black Mask realizes he's on the losing end and escapes from Arkham Asylum. After this, he revives the False Face Society and ends up clashing with the Mad Hatter because of Mad Hatter's claim of copyright and gimmick infringement. Uh, You can't have two mind-controlling villains in Gotham. It's just, it's not gonna work. So, uh, the last big thing that he does in the New 52 is during the Forever Evil story arc, where he uses his false face society to attack the rogues. This, I have to, I have to talk about this for a second, because this is one of my favorite things in the New 52. Um, during Forever Evil, Forever Evil was basically the story where, um, 
the crime syndicate escaped from Earth-3 and came into uh, Earth-Prime and sealed away the Justice League. They're gone. They're nowhere to be seen. So the world is left to the crime syndicate and the villains of the DC universe. And all of the villains are basically told by the crime syndicate, you fall in line with us or we will hunt your ass down and we will kill you. Now, everyone basically falls into line with the exception of the rogues. Flash's rogues gallery decides, hey, we have a moral code, which has always been one of my favorite parts of the rogues. Uh, we don't kill people, and you guys are super messed up. So we're, you know, we're out. And the crime syndicate is like, oh, no, no, that's totally cool. Um, except everyone put a bounty on their heads. They are dead. So there's a great, there's a great book. I don't remember what it's called. Um, but if you look up rogues, um, you will find it. But this is just a great book of the rogues basically being on the run from every other villain in the DC uh, universe. So I love it. Uh, during this, uh, Black Mask uses his false face society to attack the rogues trying to claim the bounty. Uh, the rogues are able to defeat Black Mask and they leave. So that's pretty much it for uh, Black Mask until we get to DC Rebirth, which again is one of the other many uh, DC events to try and, whether it's hard reboot or soft reboot, kind of rekindle the magic in DC Comics. So during DC Rebirth, he's given a new origin where it's revealed that he is not technically the first Black Mask. The first Black Mask went was uh, his father, Richard Sionis, who was known as just The Mask, and not That Mask. Um, he was the original founder of the False Face Society, and as he grew older, he uh, started to bring his son Roman into the family business, which in this continuity was crime. Uh, as uh, Richard started to falter due to old age, Roman poisoned his father to get him off the board and uh, assume his role as the head of the False Face Society. Also, during this time, he uh, forms an alliance with the Penguin and Great White to form the Blacks and the Whites. There's really nothing uh, to be said for them. They're kind of a short-lived group with the... One exception, if if they had done absolutely nothing, then I wouldn't even be mentioning them here. But they do something pretty significant, and that is hiring KG Beast to kill Batman. Why is this significant? Because KG Beast, during his uh, assassination attempt on Batman, does not kill Batman. But he uses a sniper, ri sniper rifle to try and kill Batman. Misses as far as I could tell, and ends up shooting Dick Grayson Nightwing in the head, causing all of this terrible Rick Grayson drama. So if you don't like the stuff that's going on with Rick Grayson, if you want Nightwing to be back, blame Black Mask, blame Penguin, and blame Great White. Um, pretty soon after this, uh, Batman finding out afterwards, after taking care of KG Beast, uh, finds out about what he was or who he was hired by goes after the blacks and whites takes him out and during the scuffle wouldn't you know it like he always does black mask escapes however 
Pretty soon after this, he is found and captured by Damian Wayne. Now, this takes place during the uh, Teen Titans Rebirth story, where Damian Wayne, underneath Titan's Tower, has essentially created this black site prison, where he holds uh, criminals and tortures them, including one Roman Sionis. So there is... Uh, specific cutaways during the T-Titans Rebirth book where Damien will go down into his little prison and torture uh, whichever villain he decides to for information. So that went on for a while until he was able to escape during an arc uh, in Teen Titans. Uh, following his escape, he's feeling like a new man, so he takes some members of his False Face Society and goes on a bank heist. Unfortunately, it all goes wrong. He is uh, beset upon by the GCPD, but he is saved by a familiar-looking Doombot. Not the Doombot you're thinking of, but one of the many Doombots set out by Lex Luthor with an offer. This takes place during the Year of the Villain uh, story that's been going on throughout 2019 in DC Comics. Uh, he basically gets this offer from Apex Lex, like, hey, uh, you're thinking way too small. I know you want to get you know your fortune back, but you could go even bigger. You could change the world. So he has him do a hostile takeover of Headberry Industries, which was a, a competitor of LexCorp down in Atlanta. Uh, during this... Uh, Apex Lex gives Black Mask a pretty significant upgrade. So whether or not um, it's tied to the mask or whether it's uh, changed his physiology somehow, um, Black Mask now has the ability to change his face into anyone, like literally anyone, which really just ups his uh, his power ceiling as well as his uh, his effectiveness as a villain. Uh, as the C as the new CEO of Headberry Industries, after he kills and assumes the identity of the original CEO, he clashes with Batwoman and Renee Montoya. But of course, as he does, escapes. Uh, after this clash with Batwoman, he retreats to Melbourne, Australia, and assumes a new identity, that of the head of a prominent news organization down there and that brings you up to speed on black mask roman sionis that's where he currently is if you want to check out uh the story that we just talked about as part of the uh, year of the villain you can check out uh black mask year of the villain number one that is in comic stores right now or on uh, comiXology dc universe i think it's on there as well but um yeah so that's black mask he is a deadly deadly villain who has gone through a lot in his career as a villain of batman's um couple recommended reading that i think you should definitely check out first off definitely pick up uh black mask year the villain number one it's a great story um it's written by tom taylor who has just been killing it across all of comics both dc and marvel uh throughout the last couple of years he's awesome and he brings a great uh horror filled um, element to Black Mask, which I really like. I also think you should check out, of course, uh, the two books that I talked about before, uh, uh, No Man's Land as well as War Games. War Games specifically because that is just a full-blown Black Mask story. Uh, and also Under the Red Hood, or I guess in the com the original comic was Under the Hood. They made a film, an animated film adaptation, which Black Mask has played mwah, 
to perfection. Uh, so definitely watch that as well. But the original Under the Hood story dives deeper into Black Mask's involvement. There's a great scene where he seemingly kills Red Hood. I won't spoil what happens, but it is great. Um, and then also all of his appearances in Catwoman. Great stuff. Great appearances and really setting up uh, Bat or Black Mask as not just a Batman villain but also a Catwoman villain so those are stories that I think you should definitely pick up uh, you can find all of them on Amazon they're fantastic and he is absolutely a character to look out for um, I love this character I think he's great he is also being played by Ewan McGregor in uh, Birds of Prey and I could not be more excited about it I love Ewan McGregor and he has uh, been teasing some pretty uh, awesome stuff we've seen in the trailers we've finally seen the Black Mask which again looks fantastic and i cannot wait to see this movie so i'm i just i really want it to be good and i know i know you and mcgregor's good because even in movies that aren't great he is always fantastic so uh overall black mask one of my favorite batman villains he is so underserved and deserves more recognition and hopefully after birds of prey he is going to get the recognition that he deserves my name is oliver queen after five years in hell, I returned home with only one goal, to save my city. For eight years, I fought alongside brave men and women striving for justice. But then, a crisis came, and I had to become someone else. I had to become something else. I made the ultimate sacrifice, which helped birth an entirely new universe. Now my friends and family will have to go on without me. And although I have become a specter, there is a part of me that will always be the Green Arrow. It is now time for the weekly review. This is a segment of our show where I review something weekly. And uh, this is a pretty special one because this is it. This is the conclusion. This is episode 10 of season 8 of Arrow, the finale. Uh, not just the finale of the season, this is the finale of the series. This episode, entitled Fade Out, is the series finale for a show that has been going on since 2012. Eight years! I remember when this f show first came out, I did not get into it until probably halfway through the first season. Uh, I didn't start watching it until half of that first season was already gone because I didn't really connect to it initially. Uh, going back and watching it again... Um, the first season is so interesting to me because uh, they had no idea. There's no way that they had any idea what this show and really what this universe would become. Um, but it is pretty incredible looking back. And this episode does plenty of that. So let's just go ahead and jump into it because um, I got a lot to talk about. So uh, this episode, once again, entitled Fade Out, uh, mostly deals with the fallout of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, that's kind of something that I don't think a lot of people expected because um, I think a lot of people expected like a very Oliver Heavy episode. But honestly, that's really kind of what Crisis was. Uh, as much as it was a huge crossover, uh, 
you know, dozens of characters brought in. Um, the story really was about Oliver's sacrifice, about his life, about his relationships that he had built along the way with people. And this episode kind of served more as an epilogue to his story, showing uh, what someone like that leaves behind after he's gone. And so a bunch of stuff. Like, I want to talk about this opening because it starts off in Starling City of 2014 during a scene that I think a lot of people are familiar with, uh, and that is in Season 2 when Slade Wilson kills Moira, Oliver's mother. Um, I thought it was interesting starting here. I didn't know why they started there until I realized that, oh shit, something's going to change. And of course it does, because as uh, Slade is about to kill Moira, Oliver frees himself and attacks Slade, changing history. So as we come to find out post-crisis with all of this um, uh, resets, Earth Prime now, uh, all of the history that's changed... uh, History is not the only thing that's changed. Uh, people, people's lives have changed. Moira is alive again. Uh, Quentin Lance is alive again. And he's still the mayor. Like, uh, you you come to find out in this episode that Oliver did not just bring uh, the multiverse back. He fixed a lot of the uh, problems in his life. Uh, and so the episode kind of opens up with uh, this documentary. Uh, that is being filmed, I guess, called Emerald Archer, which apparently started off as kind of this documentary on how hard it is to be to live life as a vigilante, but it ended up becoming a memorial for him. Uh, the episode also uh, brings together characters that we haven't seen in a little bit. Uh, Roy shows up and shows off his new robo-arm, which I'm super excited about. For everything that Oliver fixed, I'm kind of glad he didn't fix Roy getting his arm chopped off, just for me. Uh, Mia is also brought back from 2040. Uh, This episode takes place post uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries last episode. So Mia knows everything that's about to happen. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, she's kind of still reeling from the uh, abduction of William at the end of last episode. And unfortunately has to deal with that again because young William, this time's William, also gets abducted. And do... And... Because of that, uh, Diggle and the rest of the team bring together pretty much everyone who's ever been on Team Arrow. So we're talking Thea, we're talking Rory, we're talking Curtis, and of course, Felicity shows up. Uh, Emily Bett Rickards shows back up for the first time this season as Felicity, and it's fantastic. She's great. She is so good. Um, I have made it very clear my feelings on Felicity throughout the run of this show, but it would have been an absolute crime to have this show, uh, this finale, without her. So I'm glad that she got to be there. Uh, During the search for William and his kidnappers, we get to see some nice moments. Uh, Roy and Thea finally get to catch up after Roy abandoned her uh, last season. And he proposes to her. So they don't follow up on that until a little bit later but also during the search uh rory ragman shows back up we get a little snippet of him again so it was nice um he was probably i think the least interesting character for me when they brought in that initial like new team arrow 
Um, so I didn't really miss him as a character, but I liked that they brought him back. I thought that was cool. And the moment that he gets with, uh, with Renee, with Wild Dog, while they're searching, uh, them kind of catching each other up on each other's lives, he, um, Renee basically tells him, yeah, you know, me and Oliver clashed a lot through the years. And Rory's like, of course you did. Like, you're, of all of us, you're the one who's most like him. And I had to step, take a step back for a second, because I was initially like, no, he's not. But I thought about it, and I thought about Renee's journey through this, uh, through the story, and he really, he honestly is. He really is a representative of who Oliver Queen had the opportunity to be and was for most of his life. So I liked that. We also got to get a great scene between Diggle and Lila, where uh, Lila is feeling all of this guilt because uh, Oliver basically brought their entire family back together, and she is worried that she's not going to be able to do the same. Fortunately, uh, William, I forgot his name for a second, uh, William is found by Mia, who is decked out in her Green Arrow gear, and we find out that his kidnapper is a criminal by the name of John Byrne. Now, if you don't know what that name is, uh, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, uh, John Byrne, for those of you who don't know, was a prolific comic book writer and is probably most well-known for rebooting Superman. He was the person behind the complete reboot of Superman's origin as well as his new status quo following Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I think that's a great nod. Um, I think it's interesting that they made him a straight-out villain, but I think it's a great, great nod to a writer who really was influential following the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I liked that. Uh, Mia uh, eventually decides not to kill him and disarms him because as we come to find out john byrne was a criminal back when uh oliver was still in his i kill people phase who oliver actually spared and he ended up spending eight years in prison and upon finding out that oliver queen is um is that oliver queen is the green arrow uh he went after his family when he was vulnerable i like that uh, we got a moment where Mia got to have kind of her hero moment jumping into the role of Green Arrow and that we didn't spend too much time on this. We got the exact amount of time that they needed to devote to this and I I enjoyed it. I thought that was great. Uh, following this, we get a really sweet scene with uh, Mia and Kid William where she's like showing him, you know, how a bow works and everything. I liked that. Uh, they do show that there's uh, news footage of Mia disarming John Byrne instead of instead of killing him and revealing that uh, the Green Arrow inspired a whole new generation of superheroes, which I think is a great uh, analogy for how Green Arrow and Stephen Amell really inspired this whole uh, renaissance of DC TV uh, superhero shows. We also get this, oh, this heartbreaking scene where um, Laurel is uh, talking to Quentin and of of course, remember, Laurel and uh, Dinah, this is pre-them going to the future. So the two of them have this great scene where Laurel talks about how in rebooting the universe, um, Oliver s saved so many people. And what we come to find out is all of these people that he saved uh, were not his versions, were not these Earth-1 versions, but were in fact the doppelgangers of those characters from destroyed Earths brought here to get 
and given a new chance at life, which I think is a great shout, a great use of doppelgangers, even though we aren't going to have them anymore, and a great um, a great way to give these characters happy endings without um, without souring their initial uh, deaths and their initial sacrifices. So I really liked that. Uh, but Laurel basically tells Quentin like he saved everyone in his life except for his laurel and i don't know why i'm here i don't know why i'm here and she's not and it's this great oh my god and it's a question i think all of us had post-crisis but it's a great great scene um katie cassidy absolutely kills it and uh to his credit paul blackthorne as quentin lance really sends it home and seals it by telling her that you know there's nothing wrong with her and that she is here for a reason and i love that i think that's great uh she is i would say arguably a better laurel than the earth one laurel but um it's just fantastic great scene uh as we come to find out uh we also find out because uh diggle and we're gonna we are gonna talk about him uh diggle has been kind of uh disillusioned he's like no the mission's still going the mission's still going but as we come to find out um Oliver, using his powers when he rebooted the universe, has wiped out all crime in Star City. And this tracks with last episode where they say there hasn't been any crime in Star City in 20 years, in 2040, and now we're in 2020. You get it. So Star City twenty Star City's going to be a pretty quiet place for the next 20 years, is what I'm saying. So, um, Diggle finally accepts that the mission is over and that it's time to move on. And so he reveals that Lila has gotten a promotion and is moving their entire family to Metropolis, which I think is very interesting, uh, considering that um, Diggle is showing up in Flash's premiere when it comes back on uh, in February, as well as... Metropolis being the setting for the new uh, Clark and Lois show. I'm pretty excited about that, especially when we get to uh, the tease later on. Uh, there's also this great scene right after this where it's lights out. They are doing the closing time segment where it's uh, Renee, Diggle, and Dinah, the members of Team Arrow who really stuck around the longest. So um, this was this was sad because they're you know shutting the lights off, say how much they're gonna miss it, and uh, that's it for that. Uh, following this, we get a candlelit vigil, and they reveal the statue that we saw last episode, which is the memorial to Green Arrow and to Oliver Queen. And the next day, they have the funeral, where we get to see some characters we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Emmy goes back; she's no longer dead, uh, or she's. Of course, the doppelganger, but is given a new uh, life and history and everything. Tommy Merlin is also back. Pretty excited about that. Uh, And apparently he was married to Laurel on his Earth. So getting to see him and Earth 2 Laurel interact was really nice. A great throwback to season one. Uh, Talia and Nyssa are also back and kind of palling around. Uh, And then we get a great scene between me and Felicity. Uh, just great stuff between uh cat mcnamara and emily bet rickett um just so good so good having that uh having that scene the two of them finally interacting uh we also get a couple cameo appearances from barry and kara the other members of our uh dccw trinity so um pretty much exactly how i expected it would be if uh batman ever died and superman and wonder woman showed up we get our flash and supergirl show up here 
really like that. Uh, and then after this, we kind of get a send-off for everybody. Uh, Renee is now the new mayor of Star City. Dinah uh, travel, is traveling out of the city and into Green Arrow and the Canaries. Uh, and then John Diggle, during the funeral, gives this great eulogy. Um, David Ramsey has been really the unsung hero of this show. And he is so good at what he does. And he's been such an integral part of this show. He has been in the show just as long as Stephen Amell has. And has been as uh, influential and as uh, prominent as he has for the entire run. So I love that he got that moment with him. And a large chunk of this episode is devoted to their experiences back in season one. I held off on talking about this, uh, but littered throughout the episode, uh, we keep flashing back to Starling City 2012 during season one, sometime after episode five, when uh, Diggle is finally brought into um, uh, Oliver's mission as he when he's back back when he's just the hood. Um, great, great stuff. This is where they introduce us to John Byrne, uh, but this really is the establishment of. Um, of Oliver and Diggle's friendship, and really their relationship as brothers. It's fantastic getting to see them kind of bannering back and forth like they did in season one. Um, there's also an incredible, I, I have this written in my notes as hallway fight, but um, he goes through hallways, he goes upstairs, he fights through rafters. This is pure season one and season two arrow action, and I loved every single second of it. It was just fantastic. I um, I love the throwback to old school arrow uh, fight choreography. It has, as the seasons went on, become a little bit more uh, simplified. So I really liked the grittiness of this. Really good stuff. Um, and that's, I think, been one of the most popular parts of this episode that people have really clung to so i really dug that um but this really not just establishes the john byrne character that does eventually come into play later on but also um really gives us that big throwback and that moment where we get to enjoy the birth of the friendship between oliver and diggle because throughout arrow as much of uh the story has been devoted to oliver queen this has also been john diggle's story growing as a person being uh a post uh a post-war uh, military veteran who had to learn a new life uh getting back together with Lila, becoming a father, you know, becoming a vigilante in his own right and all this stuff. And you really get a full scope of what his story has been. So I love that. And the story continues because during their whole packing up as they're getting ready um, to head out to Metropolis overnight, um, a meteor hits nearby. And when John Deagle goes to investigate, he finds a box and he opens up the box and a green light shines out of the box onto his face. You never see what it is, but it was enough. It was enough. They've been teasing this since God knows how, God knows how long. Um, and to get the tease that he's finally going to become Green Lantern, I think is great. Opening the door for him in other crossovers, uh, for potentially his own spinoff, whether he shows up on Clark and Lois, whatever they do, I think that's a great, great shout. Um, and then in the final scene, we get this uh, follow-up. We finally get the uh, conclusion to how Season 7 ended when, uh, in 2040, Felicity left with the Monitor uh, to go be with Oliver. 
And what we come to find out is essentially the monitor took uh, her to wherever this like pocket dimension slash uh, afterlife slash paradise that Oliver has been. She shows up looking like season one Felicity. Uh, Oliver shows up looking like season one Oliver in uh, the office in his uh, his mother's office in Queen Consolidated. And it's a great, quiet, nice moment where the two of them get to essentially have their happily ever after, where they get to spend all the time that they missed with each other. And I really, really liked that. So um, that's it. The show ends, and overall, I think this is a great, great episode. And this has been a great, great season. Uh, the show in itself, uh, this episode, really was a celebration of Oliver and his relationships, the people who affected his life. Um, I loved everything that had to do with John Diggle and Felicity Smoke. Uh, them finally getting their due was something that I think a lot of us as fans wanted to see, especially for David Ramsey as John Diggle. He has been the unsung hero of Arrow for a very long time, and I'm glad that they got to devote this episode really to him. Uh, he's also just a great person and a great actor. I met him once at a convention, and he was just the coolest guy. So really excited for him and the uh, the future that might hold for him because of course even though this is the end the story continues much like comic books uh, much like any kind of media that has an ongoing story um, this isn't the end this might be a pit stop this might be the end for these characters and their journey here but the story continues the world continues we are on an earth where everything is possible now and um, seeing John Diggle as green lantern seeing where 2040 takes green arrow and the canaries seeing where um oliver might show up again if he wants to show up as the specter i think overall even though they are leaving a hell of a legacy behind i mean there is a reason that this whole division this whole universe is called the arrowverse because it started here it started with these, this show, it started with these characters, and this episode being a celebration of that I thought was really good. Um, the episode isn't flawless, I thought it stumbled a little bit with certain characters. Uh, the fact that Slade Wilson did not get any kind of big uh, moment here I thought was a shame, but uh, overall, just as a celebration of the show, as a celebration of these characters, and as a celebration of their relationships, I thought it was really, really well done, and... Um, I think overall, when it comes to the Arrowverse, even though uh, Arrow and Oliver Queen is being laid to rest, the future ultimately still is bright. And that wraps it up for the weekly review. Um, this has been bittersweet. I knew it was going to be when I decided to make uh, Arrow Season 8 the focus of the weekly review. However, that does not mean that the weekly review segment is over because we've got a lot coming uh just like the arrowverse just like comics uh the story goes on and so will the weekly review and so uh we gotta announce what won the poll i set up a poll on twitter at geeksplain pod thank you first of all to everyone who voted it was a very close race for a lot of the uh of the week that i had this poll up i had for an entire week and ultimately Again, to recap, the choices were the Harley Quinn cartoon, Doctor Who Season 11, Clone Wars, the Clone Wars final season, and another CW show. Um, I did not think it was going to go like this. I did not think that the results were going to be uh, 
this way or that it would be this stacked. But overall, after a week-long poll with 44% of the vote, we have Doctor Who. So next week, uh, we will be kicking off with the back half of uh, the current Doctor Who season that is currently running on Sundays on BBC and BBC America. Uh, Next week is also going to be kind of a catch-up episode because if you remember, we reviewed the first episode of the season, but since then we've had four other episodes. So um, I'm excited to talk about them. We're going to talk about them, recap all of that, and then also talk about the episode that is coming out this Sunday. So I'm really excited about it. Um, also really excited about Doctor Who just in general, because especially after this last episode, oh man, my hype for Doctor Who is so high. So that is going to be our next focus on the weekly review for the next, I think, five weeks. So really excited to talk about all that. And, uh, yeah, so once again, uh, a big thank you to everyone who voted on that. Uh, so long, Arrow, you will be missed. And uh, tune in next week for Doctor Who. For now, of course, let's head on over to this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request them at Pod on both Instagram and Twitter or through email because I'm an old man and I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week with the Geeksplained Pick of the Week of last week. And uh, there were a couple contenders last week. We had some pretty good books, had a good week of comics, and uh, the one that rose above the rest for me was Far Sector, number three of 12, written by N.K. Jemison with uh, art by Jamal Campbell. Uh, This book has just been really good so far. I've been really enjoying it. It's a different take on a Green Lantern story, turning it into kind of a uh, detective noir story, and I'm down for it. I love the uh, city enduring as a set piece, and I really like Joe Moline as the lead. Uh, we still have a lot of questions just about her as a Green Lantern, like, why is she a human Green Lantern? Uh, how long has she been a Green Lantern? Why is her ring different? You know, all of this stuff that I, uh, I'm i really excited to learn more about as we go along through this series. We're only on issue three, and I am all in on this series for sure. I also, uh, I really dug this issue. It was kind of wrapping up the first uh, mystery from the first two issues, and putting her right in the middle of a protest, which uh, if you're familiar with today's current events, police and protests are never a good, uh, they're basically a recipe for disaster. So overall, really, really enjoyed this book. It's been really strong so far. I'm loving the art. It's gorgeous. The writing is also really well done. And I can only assume that the writing is going to get smoother and smoother as we go along. Uh, The first issue, the first couple issues, but the first issue specifically was really focused on exposition, which you're introducing all these new concepts, so I get it. 
but I'm excited that we're now starting to move into the meat and potatoes of the series, where we're really going to start getting into the action now that we have uh, the setting all uh, in place. So that was my pick of the week, but that was last week. Let's talk about this week. This week we have one, two, three, four, five, seven books for you. And let me tell you, uh, we talked about last week how heavy the DC presence was. Well, Marvel has, uh, Marvel's striking back with a vengeance uh, this week because out of the seven books, five of them are Marvel books. So let's go ahead and dive into them right here. Starting off with X-Men number five, written by Linnell, Fr- or written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Linnell Francis Yu. Um, we're still in that phase of, you know, I mentioned it just now with uh, Far Sector, but we're still in that phase of Hickman kind of setting up the pieces before he starts knocking them down. But I have been enjoying the book so far. The art's also gorgeous. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this book has in store. Let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The X-Men, the most powerful heroes on the planet, deal with an old nemesis's surprising return. So last issue, uh, they jumped into the Savage Land, which is always a great time for X-Men stories. And um, I'm thinking it might go off the rails, this issue. So I'm excited for it. Looking forward to pick this up. Next up, we have Detective Comics Annual number 3, written by Pete J. Tomasi, with art by Sumit Kumar and Steve Rude. Um, This issue is going to be... Uh, dealing with some heavy stuff, so I'm really excited about it. We haven't seen too much of uh, the ramifications of City of Bane with, spoilers, the death of Alfred bleed into Detective Comics just yet, so uh, this is really going to be the first time that Tomasi gets to write about that story, so I'm excited. Let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Of all the mayhem and madness that City of Bane visited upon Batman's world, the death of Alfred Pennyworth had the greatest impact. As Bruce struggles to pick up the pieces of his life, the absence of the man who had always helped him is felt with devastating consequences. With new storm clouds brewing on the horizon, does Bruce Wayne have what it takes to honor his dearest friend's memory? So this is going to be kind of an in-memoriam issue while also getting uh, Bruce ready for the next arc. Uh, the last arc, last couple issues have been kind of... Uh, the the Fine. <laughs> um, there was a new artist brought in and the arc was just a two-issue arc dealing with a basically a killer Santa Claus. Um, so, like I said, it's fine. It was holidays, whatever. Um, but I'm excited to see where uh, Detective Comics goes forward with this, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how Tomasi handles the death of Alfred. Next up, we have Avengers of the Wastelands, number one of five, written by Ed Brisson with art by uh, Jonas Scarf, or Scharf. I probably mispronounced your name, and I apologize. But uh, it looks like this is kind of the end game when it comes to the old man stories. Uh, this is building off of old man Hawkeye, old man Logan, a little bit of old man Quill near the end. Um, I'm excited about this. This looks like a really, uh, really fun take on a book. I love the Wasteland as this Mad Max, you know, style Marvel story. And bringing in these characters, which have been you know, more or less supporting characters in the 
books I mentioned previously and kind of letting them take center stage, especially with the ramifications at the end of Dead Man Logan, I'm all for. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. A new story from the world of Old Man Logan. In a world where most of the superheroes fell at the hands of the Red Skull over 50 years ago, a new force rises in the wastelands. Danny Cage wields the mighty Mjolnir for the cause of peace. But when the brutal regime of Doctor Doom forces Dwight, a.k.a. the owner of the surviving Ant-Man technology, to Danny and Hulk in a last-ditch effort to survive, the Avengers may assemble once more. Spinning out of the saga begun in Old Man Logan and following up Old Man Quill in Dead Man Logan, this is the can't-miss premiere of Ed Brisson and Jonas Scarf's Magnus Opus. So, again, it sounds like this is kind of what all of those books have been leading to, so I'm excited about it. Um, and as a clarification, it's not uh, Bruce Banner Hulk. It is uh, Bruce Jr., who was great in uh, Dead Man Logan, so I'm excited to see kind of the... Uh, I guess the evolution of him as a character. We don't know how much time has passed between the conclusion of Dead Man Logan until here, so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what Brisson brings to this book. Next up, we have Doctor Strange number two, written by Mark Wade with art by Kev Walker. I loved issue one. I I'm going to be honest, I'm trying to keep my pull list, you know, as lean and mean as possible. But as soon as I picked up uh, issue one of Doctor Strange, the Surgeon Supreme, I, I was hooked. And I was like, ah, I have to add this to my pull list again. So I'm excited about this. It was really, really great. And I'm looking forward to where the story takes him. Uh, Mark Wade has been doing really good work with... Uh, with uh, Stephen Strange, and I'm really excited to see what this new wrinkle in his story brings to him. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Enter the Wrecker of Reality. After being beaten, broken, and at the end of his rope, how will Strange keep the Wrecker from tearing apart reality? Plus, a familiar face from Strange's past makes a surprise return. So I'm going to assume that surprise face is Clea because it's always Clea. But um, I enjoy Clea's stories. And I'm after the just the brutal ending of uh, issue one, I cannot wait to see how they uh, kind of course correct for Steven to get out of that situation. So really, really looking forward to this. Another book that I'm really looking forward to is Justice League number 39, written by Scott Snyder with art by George Jimenez. Uh, this is it. This is the uh, kind of the send-off, the finale of Scott Snyder on the Justice League book. I, I wish they'd brought him all the way to 40 just because I'm uh, OCD. But I'm really excited to see where they go from this, especially since through the books of uh, Hell Arisen, I think. Uh, they basically, without really saying it, told everyone that hey Lex Luthor won this war so I am excited to see where they go with this because um we don't know how that happened especially with uh everything looking pretty hopeful at the end of last issue so I'm really excited George Jimenez's art is also killer and I cannot wait to pick this book up so let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here 
In the wake of the Justice Doom War, the Justice League finds themselves stranded at the far end of the universe, and facing a challenge they've never faced before. But what will they find on their journey? Has their battle with Perpetua had consequences reaching farther across the cosmos than they ever imagined? Superstar scribe Scott Snyder says farewell to the Justice League with a special story that both winds down all the things he started with issue one and nods toward everything that comes next in the DC universe. So yeah, this is his swan song, his send-off, and um, overall, this has been a great run from him. Uh, really telling stories that genuinely feel blockbuster, uh, and I think that was his goal coming onto the book, and I think he really knocked this out of the park. So I'm waiting for an announcement on what he's going to be doing next when it comes to DC. We do know that um, his creator-owned stuff is on the horizon as well, so overall, just really, really excited to pick this book up. Next, we have Doctor Strange, The End, number one. The next chapter in the The End stories. Uh, this is written by Leah Williams with art by Felipe Andrade. And I'm really looking forward to this. When I did the... Uh, kind of the breakdown of all of the uh, the end books when they were first announced for the news segment a few a few months ago. Um, this was the one that I was the most excited about. So I'm really excited that it's finally here. The, uh, the end books have been pretty strong so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with this book. So let's jump into the synopsis here. The final Doctor Strange story. The Sorcerer Supreme makes his final journey through a cyberpunk sprawl that forgot about magic, reteaming the critically acclaimed creative team of Leah Williams and Felipe Andrade. So, yeah, it's pretty simple. Old man, still knows how to use magic, now has to go up against a society that's forgotten it. Uh, simple story. Really, really excited to see where this goes. But for me, the big book of the week, the book I'm most excited to read, is Hawkeye Freefall number 2, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. Uh, the first issue knocked it out of the park. It was a fantastic opening salvo, and I'm really excited to see what they do with this book. Um, they established the mystery of Ronan. They brought Hawkeye together with... Um, uh, the Winter Soldier, and Falcon. Uh, I'm just, I'm really excited. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Who the F is Ronin? The mystery surrounding the volatile new Ronin deepens as his actions begin to destabilize the seedy underbelly of New York City. Hawkeye finds himself caught in the middle of an increasingly dangerous turf war between Ronan and the Hood. Though Clint may not approve of Ronan's methods, it's hard to argue with his results, and pretty soon he may need to choose a side that his allies in the Avengers won't be happy about. So, lots of fun stuff. Uh, just, it's so good. Matthew Rosenberg has such a great voice for Hawkeye, and I can't wait to pick this book up. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have X-Men number 5, Detective Comics Annual number 3, Avengers of the Wasteland number 1 of 5, Doctor Strange number 2, Justice League number 39, Doctor Strange The End number 1, and Hawkeye Freefall number 2. If there are any books I missed, any books that you're excited about that you think I should be picking up, feel free to reach out and let me know, whether it's through social media, um, through email, or whatever. Feel free to comment on this, uh, on whatever uh, 
podcast platform you use, feel free to let me know. I love discovering new books and I love it even more when I get recommended to them uh, by listeners just like you. So I'm really excited about the books this week. Again, a heavy Marvel presence. DC only knocking out two books this week, uh, at least on my pull list. If there are more that you are enjoying and reading, feel free to let me know once again. But Really strong books that I'm really excited for. Doctor Strange, I'm really looking forward to. Doctor Strange, The End. Got a double feature of Doctor Strange this week. Uh, Justice League 39 is going to be fantastic. And I'm really excited to pick up Hawkeye Freefall number two. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening to us. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard throughout the episode, uh, feel free to give us a rating and review. And of course, subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice uh, with the rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out, gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you um also feel free to let me know uh what you thought about anything that we talked about today the news the reviews um really anything we talked about did you learn some stuff about black mask he's a pretty interesting character uh are you gonna miss arrow what was your favorite season what was your favorite episode i'd love to have those conversations with you um arrow love i think is an an all-time high right now. I might even go back and rewatch some episodes from earlier seasons because I am in a very bittersweet mood. So um, really excited uh, also about next week because next week, as of this recording, uh, Harley Quinn, I keep wanting to call it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey because that's how it's been marketed. Uh, I've done it so many times over this episode. But um, Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of Harley Quinn, uh, will be releasing next week. So this episode served as part one of a two-part Birds of Prey special. This week we talked about Black Mask, the villain. Next week we're going to be spotlighting our heroes. So I'll be giving you a comics catch-up episode to let you know what the best Birds of Prey episode or Birds of Prey comics are to check out, including maybe an episode of an animated series that you might not know exists. So look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Gazana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.